first tweakage podcast. My name is Sam Brock, and with us also is uh, my name is Bodie Brock. Yeah, so uh, dad, son uh, here, and uh, tweakage podcast. I mean, what comes to mind when you're <laughs> thinking that? So, so Bodie, what what could you imagine we could do in this thing? Well, so far, we we have lots of ideas. We have a lot of lists that we could do, <laughs> right. and I think our biggest problem is we're trying to figure out well, how do we structure this? How do we make this? Right, so but it's a bunch of camp people. Like, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. have to be perfect. <laughs> so far, we've marked more things off uh, than yeah. we have figured out what we're going to do. Uh, so we finally we kept kicking around all these options, and we're like, okay, I've been in camping for a lot of years, and you've been in camping. For... Well, I mean, officially, like actually working in camping, maybe nine. <laughs> well, let's months. say it's this way: you've been a staff kid, right? Yeah, well, I've I grew up in camp. This is a whole different beast <laughs> right? between working there and living there. And uh, just went on <laughs> resident staff. What? How many weeks ago? Well, months. Two months. <laughs> two months <laughs> ago. To reduce me to weeks. <laughs> Great big two months. So, so it is a. So from our standpoint, we would love to do a podcast that's just for camp guys. And I'll share a few things. I would look forward to interviewing and working with some of the guys that uh, that go to Tweakage. There's some guys out there that have some great input, some great thoughts. And um, and I wanted to have another voice just besides mine. Maybe maybe somebody not quite as smart as me. So I have chosen Bodie. Uh, you can feel the love. Yeah, I do. <laughs> For me, I don't have much. Uh, obviously, don't have as much wisdom to share. And and part of why I enjoy being on, like for me, I want to learn. And I think this will be fun. I think as much as you as an audience might be learning, I hope to be learning as well. I hope to be asking questions and 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 joining in. So. So let's start with just, I mean, this is like foundational. What is a camp's identity? Where does a camp kind of, what, what does that identity come from? What makes a camp famous? What's Ironwood famous for, Bodie? Uh, it just depends on who you ask. So, I mean, if you ask a junior, the list is going to be uh, BB guns probably or, <laughs> or uh, slide. A lot of different of the fun, the activities that you can think of. Yeah. And uh, and for some people, all they can think about is, man, it's hot out there. I mean, you guys are out in the desert. What are you thinking? So, you know, that becomes the famous thing. You ask a leadership liver, maybe they say it's dishes. Yeah. <laughs> Which maybe we don't want that to be what, the first thing they think of. Whatever they've spent the most time doing, mm. uh, that's what they think of it being. <laughs> so a camp's identity, like what makes it? So in some ways, you know what you would like it to be, but how do I get there? Or what are the components of it? I want to share five things with you. I'm going to go through them real fast, and then we'll come back, and we'll look at each one, and we might take a little bit of time, ask a few questions uh, with each one. Five things that would make up a camp's identity. Number one is philosophy. It's kind of the foundation of beliefs or truths that the camp is based on. Number two is its people. Um, those are the just, just the staff, the group of volunteers. Number three is your process and policy. Number four is your program. And that's a lot of people will think of what a camp is known for, its identity. It would be its uh, program. And then number five is its property. And uh, there's a lot of people that get real sad when something gets torn down or something gets changed because that's what they think of your camp is, boy, that rock or that well, spot. It always messes with me because whenever I come home from college, when I was in college, I, everything changed. Like there was a building missing. They'd add a new one. I'm like, that, that's not home. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's all changed. That's not camp anymore. <laughs> Uh, so let's go back to this first one. Uh, the philosophy of the camp, the foundation of beliefs of truths that the camp is based on. This is the why behind everything. Now, incidentally, the philosophy is not owned by the camp. So so in our situation, Ironwood doesn't believe anything. It's it's not a mind. It's doesn't, it doesn't, it can't, 
it can't actually believe. Actually, the philosophy is the beliefs or all the kind of the combination of beliefs of all of the staff. That's one of the things that's really hard is that you have to teach a group of people that all come together from all different places how to think and how to work and how to act so that it's consistent with the philosophy that you had just last year. So that's kind of what staff training is all about. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because if I looked at as I look at the other ones, this one doesn't change as much. I don't know if it should or shouldn't. I don't, where, what do you say? Do you say it, philosophy should change a lot or it should <coughs> keep morphing or does it stay like you just stay really rigid to whatever philosophy you've always had? Well, it's interesting because philosophy is one of these things that actually does grow over time. So there is a foundation of philosophy that kind of you, okay, so you have this thing that I believe, but then you build on top of it, maybe a little bit more philosophy and build on top of it a little bit more. And so it's not a static thing, but it is true that it doesn't change or switch. Whereas you look down here at this program, I mean, from one year to the next, it is completely different. Property's always changing and, exactly. and people have a tendency to go in and out. And... Right. But the philosophy still stays the same. But it's like the philosophy has to be maintained. You have to do the work to to teach it, uh, to help people understand it. So something like a mission statement here at Ironwood, that is something that, that we teach right at the very beginning to get people to start to understand, okay, here's the philosophy of the camp. Here's what we are uh, all about. And, uh, and we do a thing in the middle of the summer. Um, it's called, why do we do it that way? And really all it is is a gauge of, uh, for me to understand how well have we taught the philosophy because some people are going to look at a rule or something that we're doing and they're going to be like, that is dumb. Why do we have to wear these coonskin hats? They're so hot. I don't, I don't understand. It doesn't make me look like Davy Crockett. At uh, what point have we ever worn coonskin hats for camp? No, it isn't. It was a huge uproar. Uh, <laughs> I missed this. <laughs> because nobody wanted to do it. But, but you, to answer that question, why are we doing that, is really the answer is your philosophy. So, so look at whatever's going on at camp and ask the question, why do we do that? And that is your camp's philosophy. If you sit there and say, why do we do that? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> There's no philosophy there. You're you're doing things by tradition, uh, but no philosophy that sits there. I've loved that about working at Ironwood. I always know that if I want to know why something is the way it is, I just got to ask somebody and it's written down somewhere. Yeah. And, and what this comes from is, um, has the philosophy uh, been shared orally by word? Or has the philosophy been uh, shared by paper, by, by actually some way uh, that it's written down? And one of your goals is once you've done the work of figuring out why do we do it that way, you put that on paper. You put that in a way that you can share uh, that information so that it's not lost in the future. So you may find yourself not being the, the, the old wise sage at your camp, but you need to go ask the old wise sage, why do we do it that way? And with it written, it makes it really easy for a young guy like me who doesn't always know all the philosophy pieces. If I'm asked a question by a summer staff, I can I can then point to something that says, hey, this is already written out. Or I can point to the people that have the stuff to be able to answer that question. Yeah. So ch chances are this is chapter one in your staff manual, and it's probably one of the most important chapters of all the various uh, 
kind of goals and, and what you're trying to do and and why you do it. The second one here is uh, people. Uh, these your camp is known uh, by the group of people, and it's it's why every camp is unique. And there's no way for you to copy another camp. I don't have to worry about anybody seeing our skits or our, the stunts that we're doing or seeing the way we do things and say, oh, I'm going to go do it the same way. They can't. They, they don't have the same people. And likewise, I can't look at another camp and say, oh, I want to do exactly that. I may be able to do a form of it or a version of it, but the people are what make that camp unique. We, we've got some unique people on our staff that have some crazy talents and, and kind of odd and different things. And we've got to take advantage of those uh, people that, uh, that God has given us. God's made every single person different. And that's what makes your camp unique. I love it, camp. You don't have to imitate or be exactly like a specific group of people or type of person you don't come in especially if you're taking over a job position or you're maybe you're a counselor and we try not to compare you to last <laughs> we're year's counselors. To yeah we're not them. supposed to compare and that's really helpful because i have to remind myself the same thing like the last year's summer staff versus this year's summer staff just a different group of people and they're going to be good at some things and bad at other things and that's okay as long as we're taking advantage of all those those good things and we're using those well sometimes we kind of confuse this when we think that our camp is just we, we, we think that it's more known for its property, but honestly, when you ask a kid, when you ask a junior out at their church, you, you know, what, what's some of the favorite things about camp? At some point early on, they're going to start mentioning people. They're going to start mentioning counselors. Um, in fact, they will decide whether the year is going to be good, especially when they're registering and stuff. They'll be like, you know, is Mr. Simeon going to be back? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, he's uh, he's on our uh, intern staff and he'll be back again. Oh, great. This is going to be it's going to be a good summer. You know, so they're just going by the fact that their counselor is coming back and their whole knowledge of what Ironwood is, is based on that uh, one person. And for me, like if I look back on my years as a camper, I can remember very specifically counselors and I can remember people in my cabin even and, and uh, program directors. And I don't always remember all the games that we like. I fairly can't I think about it right now. I can't think of any games that we played. I can't remember them, but I can remember those people. I remember what we did and the fun things that mm -hmm. we did. But it was because yep. I was with those people. And I think as I got older, going to even teen camp, you look forward to teen camp. Yeah, you knew you were going to do some fun stuff, but it was all about. Who is going to be in my cabin? Who is going to be my counselor? And who is going to be the speaker? Yeah. Okay. So we've got uh, philosophy people. Now we go on to process and policy. And this one here, uh, probably the least favorite for most people. In fact, uh, it might not even have made somebody's list of like, what is, what is the identity of a camp? But honestly, the process and policy is absolutely huge. And, and this is how the work gets done. This is the practical outworking of your philosophy. This this really is, um, th this is kind of when you look at whether or not something is well done or well run or are they good stewards of this, you're really answering the question of how does the work get done? And, and you see some work that is uh, accomplished and you see that the way that people are using resources and you really realize that policy and procedure is a huge uh, part of this puzzle. This is probably my favorite thing at camp. And I, I rank it like as, as an employee, one of my favorite things is when I know that there's a policy or a process behind something that's not going to change. When I wake up tomorrow, it's it's predictable and it's expected. And I don't have to worry that I now don't know, don't know how to do my job because 
the policy changed. Yeah, and, and some of the things that are important here on this policy and procedure is that the policy and procedures aren't based on your personal thoughts. So it's based on a philosophy that the camp has. So what I believe personally or what I, uh, you know, maybe what I feel like <laughs> is not uh, as important as the policy and procedure that is in place. This one's interesting because um, one of the things that you realize is that, say, I'm just going to call it a bad person, not, a, not an evil person, <laughs> but not a very good worker. And not a very good worker uh, loves to work at a place that doesn't have very good procedure, very good policy. They can kind of hide out in that organization. They can kind of live there and, and do just fine because the policy and procedure is so poor, then they're, they're suddenly missing a couple of days of work and they're doing other things. They're kind of taking advantage of the fact that there's no order uh, to the way that this camp operates. And so one of the best things that you can do is you, that you can have good policy and procedure and that encourages and keeps good people. So how do you uh, not over, can, can you over policy? Can you <laughs> uh, over process? <laughs> yeah, over procedure, uh, too many things. You know, this is, uh, it is very possible to have too much uh, procedure. We have a tendency to call that bureaucracy. And that's where the policy and procedure has gotten so intense that it doesn't give a person any initiative. It doesn't give them any room to work within. And it's so rigid that there's no way to make exceptions for it. So even though I have a policy and procedure manual for just about everything, a good portion of my job is trying to figure out when it's appropriate to make exception to the policy and procedure. But I still need to know kind of for an even keel understanding where we'd like to be, I need to know what that policy procedure is. The other thing is that policy procedure just helps you remember. So, so sometimes you're writing all this policy procedure down, you're like, this is too much stuff. But actually, the only person who needs it is the person who's just learning it. And so it, it feels like to your old employee who's been around for a while, there's too, that's too much detail. But for the guy who's brand new, it's not too much detail. He's trying to understand it. He's trying to get it. And after he's done it a few times, he won't need that huge, um, that huge policy process. But he will, uh, he'll like that it was there when he started. So I'm going to put you on the spot. I, <laughs> I'm wondering, what, how do you identify a good policy versus a bad policy? What are the components? I don't know if there's like three or four components that you could list off that you say, this, this delineates, this is good, and this is bad. Boy, that's a. Uh, I know that is it's a loaded one. On the spot right there. <laughs> um, I think a, a a good policy is is one that gives that is objective. It doesn't have subjective parts to it that that person does. I think that it a, a good policy and procedure kind of um, works me through the process um, point by point. You know what I mean? So it's not like I get to the end of it and they they start throwing things in at the beginning. It's kind of orderly. Um, in its uh, setup. I do believe words are really important. So how those words are perceived uh, are really um, are really a big part of policy. I also think that good policy at times will take just a paragraph or so to say um, to say the why behind what we do it. So you asked me a question earlier uh, this week we were we were working through uh, or we were doing some video work and, uh, then Bodhi had been asked to use the video camera uh, for a for a church project, a uh, personal project, 
And he was asking about the policy that that goes. And we have a we have a policy in our manual that uh, says don't muzzle the ox. And the idea here is that every worker has tools that they use in their workplace that that are things that other people would want to take advantage of. So Bodhi was being asked to use the video camera to go videotape something. And then we talked about the processes that said, well, you you can't make money on that. You can't. Um, you, or, or you can you can make money maybe once, but not routinely. Um, and so that is all process. That's actually written down in our staff manual about personal use of camp tools. Now, it's funny to me how many times those things come up just in a conversation while we're sitting under an aethyl tree. <laughs> um, you know, as that person just has a question. Can I use the camera to do, uh, you know, personal stuff? And because we've worked through the policy that it is written down, that a group of people have uh, worked on it, that makes it, you know, good, good policy. I'd say one other thing that makes good policy is it's not just created by one person. So here in our organization, it's a group of team leaders. It's probably uh, maybe a fourth of the team, maybe a fifth of the team um, that um, kind of come together. And they work through the policy. So many times I'll write a policy. I'll think to myself, that, that's a good policy. <laughs> and then the whole group of team leaders are like, well, what does that phrase mean? I'm like, well, duh, everybody knows. Well, that's not what it means to me. And I'm like, oh, the English language um, has very much meanings connected to words. And sometimes I need to add phrases, add adjectives. I need to add more words so that the meaning becomes clear. And so what I really like about it and as you brought up that example, for me, it's helpful as an employee because I know that you're not making up a, you're not just making up an answer on the spot. And if you don't have a policy or procedure for it, you might say, here's what we'll do for now, but we'll work on one for the future. And it means as as his son, I don't have to worry that it's... it's Nepotism. Yeah, I don't have to worry about favoritism <laughs> or anything. It's just what the policy is and it makes it, it really does alleviate some of the stress or, or the difficulty or the awkwardness of working together. Yeah. Okay. So we've got uh, philosophy, people, process, and policy. Uh, our next one is program. And uh, this one might be the one that we think is the most fun. Uh, this, But this is the what are we doing? This is the front lines, tip of the spear kind of stuff. This is what the camper sees that we are actually putting together uh, to make it happen. And, and this is actually accomplishing the mission. It's not just supporting the mission, making the mission happen. There's a whole bunch of people that come together to kind of hold up the program so that they're able to do their thing. The um, important part here, I believe, with program is that we is that we recognize that it, it doesn't need to be the same old, same old. We may step back and say, okay, with a philosophy that says, okay, here's what we're trying to do with our processes and, and uh, procedures. Here we are, but here are our people now, how can we be the most effective? And this is where our creativity comes into play. This is where we really start to say, okay, all the resources God's given us, how can we accomplish this mission? I think, so here's my, my question on program. This one might be a little nitty gritty or in the weeds. So as a camper, when I come to a camp or when I come to Ironwood, there are certain traditions that are part of a program. There's things I expect to happen. How do you decide what becomes what is expected? Like what part of the program stays all the time and becomes kind of a pillar of the program? And what parts do you do you sub out or change or allow you to be really creative with? And are there times where you take your pillars and you change those or you, you, you keep morphing? Yeah, here we're, I mean, we're talking about sacred cows, traditions. We're talking about a bunch of stuff like that. Um, I don't know if there's a, if it's a clear thing, 
But I know that in our ministry, one of the things we do is what we call a whaty what. That's what, why. Well, see, I've not heard of this. <laughs> okay. This is new. So a whaty what. Um, this is when uh, dad or myself or somebody who's been here a long time says, okay, here's what we have done in the past. And here's why we did it. Now, with the knowledge of what we've done in the past and why we did it, what should we do in the future to accomplish the why in the future? Because one of the things that takes place is that culture changes a little bit, kind of the way things are done continue to change. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, a camp that was started 40 some odd years ago, what they did at that time and why they did it, the why is still good, but the what may be a little outdated. There may be a better way of doing it. Or sometimes we just, we don't know why. Whatever we were doing was a tradition, and we ask ourselves, now, why do we do that? And when we hear the why, we're like, oh, I better not change that because that's actually really important. So, you know, why do we put devotions either before or after chapel? And why do we have a general store break? And why do we sing a song before a meal? And why do we say this camp verse? Uh, all those traditions that you have, um, there's a there's a whaty what that you can do on each one. And I believe that that is what brings it to a, a point where you'll understand how important it is. And, and so if you can accomplish the same thing, by doing it something different, or you can accomplish it better, man, you you should change it. I think, and it's really interesting because you're talking about a lot of things that have to do with schedule. Program and schedule are like interchange or, or um, really close together. And I'd, I'd be interested, if possible, we have a schedule. Yeah, we have, a whole podcast we have a whole podcast on, on schedules. Schedule. The schedule is my sculpture. Yeah, we'll uh, definitely make that a future episode. That's that's for sure. So uh, we'll talk a lot more about programming in the future, but it is one of the things that becomes the identity of the camp. And you can develop a number of different programs, and we've not even talked about that. But But when you start figuring out, okay, this is what I'm trying to accomplish, that program looks different than the other programs. So junior camp looks different than teen camp and men's retreat looks different than those camps and couples retreat looks different again. So the program has the ability to change. Last one here on our list is the property. Uh, these are the resources, the buildings, the assets, the tools that the camp uses to accomplish the, its job. And many times this is the one that people think of as the um, like this is what that makes that camp famous or what uh, its identity is. But in reality, it's not um, it's not it's not more important than the other four. But people will attach meaning to the property that uh, that you have. So what are some of the decisions that you have to make regarding property that will <coughs> shape people's view of you? Well, one of the things that's really interesting is that uh, property is one of those things that that we don't. I mean, you definitely have to do some planning to figure out what your property is. But if you will do the hard work of understanding your, your philosophy, looking at the people that you have, then figuring out process and policy and what your program wants to be, it's almost like property is the last piece of a puzzle. You know, that's why everybody puts that piece in their pocket, uh, because they're like, as soon as it's the last piece of the puzzle, I know exactly where it goes. I know exactly what it looks like. It, there, it's, it's really easy. So if you have done the work on the other four, property is kind of a no-brainer. It's kind of like, well, of course a cabin needs to look like this, and of course our camp will look like this, and, and it'll be really obvious. If you start with property, though, then it becomes a discussion about the other four areas and what you're trying to accomplish. And it actually, 
you're actually using property to make a discussion about the other four things that you should have figured out before you were trying to make decisions about property. This is another odd kind of question, but I think it, I think it's interesting when it comes to property. How do you decide decor? <laughs> I don't know if that's well, important, but I think it's interesting. I know we've talked about it here. I've heard you talk about it here and there, and I'm kind of interested in how do you decide about decor and is it because it changes so much. How do you deal well, with that? Well, for, for us, we use a theme, again, a whole other podcast that we could probably go to. Uh, but we started out very early on saying that we wanted a philosophy of camp where when you came to camp, it was different than when you were at uh, home. And we wanted uh, that process that as we, the procedure for how we would decorate a place to kind of uh, be that it hit a time period or a time frame so that our camp wouldn't be outdated. I've gone to too many camps where I can say, oh, you put the carpet in in the 80s. Oh, and you put that carpet in in the 90s. Oh, you painted that bathroom uh, just about 10 years ago. And it, you can almost tell by the way they decorate what year they had the money uh, to do that. So early on, philosophically, we said, let's uh, have a camp that has a theme that is different than what they're doing at home so that their senses are, when they arrive at camp, their sense of sight and smell and, and feel, they're, they're just kind of wide open because they're like, wow, this is like I'm walking into an old West town. This is amazing. And I want them to get that feeling because I want them to sit in a service and see a stage that's totally different and anything different than they would see at home. And then to be, I mean, really ready to listen. I actually believe that decor helps a person listen to the message better. And, and we can go into this in more detail in the future, but it really is, um, the decor is a major part of your property. If, if you're going to put it in terms of what a woman would understand, it's how you accessorize the outfit. And so I have learned over the years that I can pay the money for my wife to have a new outfit, but the accessorizing, that is a whole nother, that's a, that's, you're only halfway there when you have the new <laughs> outfit to accessorize it means you got to spend a whole nother set of, of bucks. And that's what decorating um, a facility is going to do with your uh, with your pro with your property. So I think one of the things that that's interesting for everybody else is uh, um, to ask the question of these five areas, which one do we need to work on? Um, which one do we need to kind of pay attention and kind of uh, make a little bit better? So philosophy, people, process policy, uh, program, property, uh, which one of those things are um, are the things that we've got to work on? So as we approach kind of our conclusion, I like two or three questions to finish us out. Sure. Um, what do you think is the hardest one of the five? Boy, hardest one of the five, I'm going to say is process and policy. It's the easiest one to skip over because you're so excited about everything else that's going on. But I will say that most times when we're kind of like, ah, oh, we've run out of money and and we don't have enough money to build anything, and it seems like God's not giving us more. It's kind of the way that God slows us down to make sure that we have process and policy done. And as soon as we get process and policy, like we know how to use what we've already got, then God, um, it's kind of a matter of stewardship. God can give us more. And uh, so it's the easiest one to work on, process and policy, but it's the one that people just skip right over uh, the quickest. So, um, there's, it's, 
they are manuals. They are startup lists. They're shutdown lists. There's it's the way we do things, and um, and we've got to work on those constantly. I think you already answered my easiest to forget question. Unless there's a different one you would put than process and policy. Hmm. Easiest one to forget. I I think the one that's probably maybe taken for granted the most are your people. I think you kind of just figure those are the ones you got and, you know, that's uh, what I got. And maybe half the people you wish you didn't have and you wish you had new ones. And uh, But you've got people who are sinners, uh, you, but you've got people who have the ability to grow. So I would say that if I'm, if I'm looking at uh, this list, I need to make sure I know my philosophy, but I can invest in process and policy and people like nobody's business. I can put time into those two things. And, and to invest in people means that I have a multiplier. To give them good process and policy means they have a good environment within which uh, to, to multiply. When I do those things, it feels like the program just starts to explode. Like, like all of a sudden, great things are, are happening and um, property just kind of follows along. It, it kind of is a natural um, fruit of what is happening. So, so these five things, I really think, uh, give you the identity of your camp. And you need to think about all five of them. You need to be intentional about how to make all five of them better so that uh, you're a camp well-known for a ministry that is honoring and glorifying to God. Well, we made it through our first one. <laughs> <laughs> that was our first one. And we want to thank our sponsors. <clears throat> oh, we don't have any sponsors. If you're interested in sponsoring <laughs> us. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding.